With President Trump's popularity polls sagging, Democrats are lining up to run for president in record numbers. So far, Democrats who have announced their 2020 candidacy include the state of Massachusetts, the editorial board of The New York Times, six homeless guys from San Francisco who need to get into the White House to use the bathroom, and 50 of the Mexican field workers on Nancy Pelosi's Napa Valley estate who say being president might be a tough job, but it would sure beat working for this slave driver. With so many candidates in the race, Democrats will be offering a wide range of political positions, from full-fledged communism, which will finally give the ordinary working guy a fighting chance to be dragged off in the middle of the night by the secret police, to a more moderate socialism, which will allow all of us to find out what cats taste like when you roast them over a trash fire. Among the less well-known Democratic candidates are the attractive young Minnesota State Senator Mohammed Jihad Mohammed, who has been testing out the slogan, I don't want to say it's the Jews, but it's the Jews. There's also black transgender candidate Letitia Angelica Dubois-Jones, formerly known as Jack Scarpetti, who says her, exp- her experience of transitioning from an Italian teamster from a slum in Brooklyn to a black woman from an imaginary village in Africa has taught her everything she needs to know about delusional mental illness. As for more traditional candidates, there's, of course, 77-year-old socialist Bernie Sanders, who says he has formed an exploratory committee to find out where he's been for the last couple of months, He says if the committee finds widespread support for his candidacy, he'll either run or start to sell timeshares in the Everglades because if the country's that gullible, he could make a killing. We'll continue to keep an eye on the Democrat field as it develops into a hellish zombie-like mob bent on our destruction. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-dee. Shape-shape, dipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. All right, yesterday I attacked the New York Times, a former newspaper, for becoming a corrupt instrument of government overreach, tailoring their news coverage to reflect the positions of the dishonest left and their out-of-control allies in the deep state. But today, I'd like to attack the New York Times, a former newspaper, for becoming a corrupt instrument of government overreach, tailoring their news coverage to reflect the positions of the dishonest left and their out-of-control allies in the deep state. What can I tell you? They wouldn't take the hint the first time. Congressman Steve King has been stripped of his committee assignments for comments he made in the Times that seemed to support white supremacy. If he said what the Times says he said, he deserves that punishment and also a couple of smacks upside the head plus a sharp kick in the ass. But a dishonest left and the Times, but I repeat myself, have been trying to expand the definition of racism to mean anything they disagree with. And with the King kerfuffle, they're at it again. We'll take a look at it in a minute. But first, if you are the sort of person who enjoys uh, driving a screwdriver up your nose, you probably love filing your taxes. It is a total pain in the neck every year. But TaxFile is here to make it as easy as it's possible to be. This is T-A-X-F-Y. L-E. TaxFile connects you to licensed professionals like CPAs and IRS enrolled agents to do your taxes for you and connect with them in seconds. I tried it out. It's really easy. It goes right on your phone. And, you know, it's it's cheap. It's not as expensive. It's uh, less expensive than going to the usual tax preparers who are not always CPAs, by the way. And uh, it is about the same price as those things online where you do it yourself. So you save a lot of money. It's like Uber for your taxes. The tax file provides you with an upfront quote for how much it will be to have your taxes done by a licensed professional. Make sure you input your coupon code CLAVEN. For a limited time, listeners 
can file a tax return on TaxFile and get a free Google Home Hub using code Claven during checkout. Simply go to TaxFile.com slash Claven, TaxFile.com, and enter Claven at checkout. That's a free Google Home Hub when you file your first tax return on TaxFile. Plus, TaxFile has apps for iOS and Android, so you can securely chat with your tax pro on the go. That's TaxFile, spelled with a Y, T-A-X-F-Y-L-E.com, promo code Claven. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how do you spell Claven? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. You get a free Google Home Hub. And just remember, there are no E's in Claven. I just make it look this easy. Uh, all right. So, Steve King. Republican congressman, big, big uh, anti-immigration guy. He has been fighting the immigration fight for a long time. Uh, so he's quoted in the New York Times. Here's this article from the Times. Mr. King, in the interview, said he was not a racist. He pointed to his Twitter timeline showing him greeting Iowans of all races and religions in his Washington office. And then the writer adds snarkily the same office that once displayed a Confederate flag on his desk. That is true. He did have a Confederate flag on his desk. And I don't think he's from the South. So that may be a little suspect. At the same time, he said he supports immigrants who enter the country legally and fully assimilate because what matters more than race is the culture of America. Based on values, and this is not in quotes, this is the Times writing, based on values brought to you in the United States by whites from Europe. And this is the quote that got uh, King in trouble. White nationalist, white supremacist, Western civilization, how did that language become offensive? Why did I sit in classes teaching me about the mer merits of our history and our civilization? Obviously, this is a pretty stupid thing to say if that's what he said. Uh, but and, and all the Republicans, his fellow Republicans, immediately jumped on it. This is King's clarification. This is what he said in response to the article coming out. He said, I want to make one thing abundantly clear. I reject those labels talking about white supremacy. I uh, reject the evil ideology that they define. Further, I condemn anyone that supports this evil and bigoted ideology, which saw in its ultimate expression the systematic murder of six million innocent Jewish lives. I profoundly believe that America is the greatest tangible expression of these ideals the world has ever seen under any fair political definition. I am simply a nationalist. Uh, America's values are expressed in our founding documents. They are attainable by everyone. And we take pride that people of all races, religions, and creeds from around the globe aspire to achieve them. I am dedicated to keeping America this way. Well, of course, the Democrats are calling for his head. They want him fired. They want him thrown out. Uh, he's lost all his committee uh, appointments. And uh, Mitch McConnell, the majority leader, says if King doesn't understand why white supremacy is offensive, he should find another line of work. So the Republicans came down hard on this. Here's Tim Scott, the only black Republican senator, one of only three uh, black senators, I think. Uh, the other two are Democrats. Here's what Tim Scott had to say. For me, it's not about the Republican Party. Steve King's comments are uh, antithetical to what is, in fact, the American dream. And the durability of the American dream is the strength of the American spirit. And what he did was he struck against the American spirit. Mm. So he weakened the spirit. And when that happens, our nation is less competitive globally. So what I'm focused on is how do we build a better country so that the kids in high school and college today have real expectations that their futures will be brighter and better because of our leadership in this generation. That is our responsibility to do what our parents and our grandparents did for us. So perfectly fair, perfectly fair thing to say. Mitt Romney, the human weather vane, called for uh, King to uh, resign. So the thing is, 
the left makes has made such hay out of racism as if it weren't the Democrats who formed the Ku Klux Klan, if it weren't the Democrats who in instituted uh, Jim Crow in the South. It was the Democrats who were for segregation all along. The Republicans started with Abe Lincoln and have been that party ever since. There has not been a shift in Republican feelings about this. The philosophy of the Republicans has always been anti-racist. But because the left has made such hay over racism, accusing every conservative, especially they can find, of racism, there has become a little bit of a reaction on the right to play it down, to say that racism is not racism, to shrug it off, to say that blacks were never as badly treated as indeed they were within my lifetime, within living memory, blacks were treated like garbage in, this, in parts of this country. And it, it does have an effect and it does linger, the bitterness of it lingers, all of that is fair. Uh, and and you know, you've heard me say this a million times, you cannot be a conservative, in my opinion, and be a racist. It makes no sense. What conservatives are trying to conserve is our founding philosophy. We're trying to conserve the Constitution and the Declaration that says all men are created equal. That doesn't mean, obviously, that they can all play basketball as well as LeBron James. It simply means that they are all entitled, they are all equal before God, equal before the law, all entitled to equal rights. You can't believe that if you believe that some races are inherently depraved or inferior, morally inferior. You can't. Why would they be uh, entitled to equal rights if some of them were inferior to others? So in order to be a conservative, in order to cling to the things that made this country what it is and what we love and what we're trying to save from the left, you cannot believe in a racist philosophy. And I don't care what you think about, you know, genetics I have an English major. I'm a, I have a BA in English. I don't know anything about genetics. All I can tell you, though, is my philosophy is pretty simple. Man was made in God's image. God told us, if you love God, you have to love your neighbor. That, to me, is the end of the story. So you can't be... All the things that, uh, that conservatives talk about, our, our founding religion, Christianity, our founding documents, all of them are anti-racist. In order to make sense as a conservative, you cannot support things like white supremacy. I don't care what they told you. I don't care what somebody's whispering in your ear. You cannot, cannot do it. But here's the question. What is racism? When we condemn racism, what is it? To me, racism is a philosophical belief that people can be judged morally by their race. It is a disgusting belief because you are insulting the image of God, which is not going to work out well for you. You know, he's bigger than you are. Don't do it. <laughs> but the thing is, here are things that it's not. It's not a refusal to accept all philosophies equally or all religions equally or all cultures are equally good. That's nonsense. If you have a religion that believes in human sacrifice, that's not as good as a religion that doesn't believe it. If you have a, a civilization like Saudi Arabia that won't let women live, that won't let them show their faces in public, that's not as good as a world where people are free. You can't, you know, the people who say that all cultures are the same, that multiculturalism is a viable opinion, they never answer the question, well, what was wrong with the South when they held slaves? What was wrong with the American South? That was their culture. I mean, why didn't we just say, ah, well, you know, that's their culture. Some people hold slaves and that's okay. And some people don't hold slaves. No, you know, some cultures suck. Some cultures are bad. Some some ideas are bad. So it is not an acceptance of everything with no discrimination whatsoever. It's, that's Islam, not a race. You can criticize Islam. You can dislike it. You can't dislike Muslim people because some of them are perfectly decent people. But you can attack the ideas in Islam in the same way the New York Times, for instance, persecutes that poor cake baker uh, who doesn't want to uh, decorate a cake for a gay wedding. You know, you can, you can criticize ideas. It's all ideas are fair, um, are fair game. The other thing that racism is, isn't, 
It is not the little human glitches that we all have that come from, from our innate tribalism. Things that we react to that we like are people who look like us more than people who don't look like us. These are just little glitches in the, uh, in the human system that all of us can overcome with a little bit of work. I have to pause here for a minute to sell you Ring, which you are going to want because it is one of the best ways you can secure your home. I really like this because what you do is you put the ring thing on your, uh, on your front door and you can see anybody who comes to your door, anybody who comes on your property with your phone. So wherever you are, you can take a look at your house, see what's going on. You can address people if they try to get in. Uh, over a million people are using the amazing Ring video doorbell to help protect their homes. And now Ring is extending that same level of security to the rest of your home with the Ring floodlight cam. It's very cool. People walk in, the floodlights go on, so they're lighted up and exposed. And again, you can address them. It's a motion-activated camera and floodlight that connects right to your phone with HD video and two-way audio that lets you know the moment anyone steps onto your property. Ring Floodlight offers the ultimate in-home security, and you can save up to $150 off a Ring of Security kit when you go to ring.com slash Clavin. That is ring.com slash Clavin, ring.com slash Clavin to save up to 150 bucks and get that doorbell. You can challenge anybody and say to them, how do you spell Clavin? It is K-L-A-V-A-N. So, all these things, it is all these things that racism is not. It is not an occasional insensitive or stupid remark. We all make mistakes. It's none of these things. But this is the problem with the leftist approach to racism. They think they have got us on the rope. It is one of the worst things you can call an American, to call them a racist. It can destroy your career. It can destroy your reputation. And so they use it all the time. Here's an example. Here's Kirsten Gillibrand basically tarring the entire Republican Party, and especially Trump, with Steve King's remarks. Trump was asked about King's remarks and he shrugged it off. He said, I'm not following this story. And here's Kirsten Gillibrand on CNN. Here's Kirsten Powers, sorry. Uh, Kirsten, all those Kirstens look alike to me. It's Kirsten Powers reacting to that. Whenever he's given an opportunity to condemn racism, he chooses not to, you know, or he does the both sides, you know, find people on both sides, or he, during the campaign, when the alt-right was, you know, saying all sorts of things and, and being a huge supporter of his, and uh, he just declined to condemn them. And, and he doesn't condemn them because I think one of the questions that we should all be asking when we're talking about Steve King is really what's the difference between him and Donald Trump? Uh, there's not that much difference. I think that Steve King has been like this for a long time. He, you could ask the Republican Party why they're now deciding that he's a problem. Um, have mm -hmm. they evolved or are they just under pressure? Because he's been talking about, you know, undocumented immigrants like they're animals. He talked about putting an electrified fence on the border, um, saying that this is how we control livestock. So comparing them to livestock. So, you know, this is a much bigger problem for the Republican Party than just a few comments. See, this is what they always do. And the Times does this too, by the way. They are selling Steve King as the prototype for Trump's border comments. Trump's been saying the same thing about the border for as long as I can remember. So there's nothing new about it. I'm sure he didn't get it from Steve King. I'm sure it's his own opinion. And it's a problem. We have a problem at the border. Everybody knows it. People are flooding in. They can flood in. The Democrats want nothing. They, even the stuff that they're suggesting would not keep people out. Uh, I don't know if a wall would help, but it sure seems to help. It sure seemed to help in uh, Israel. It sure seems to help uh, outside Nancy Pelosi's huge Napa Valley estate. So, I mean, a Walls tend to work, but that's not the point. The point is there obviously is a problem at the border. It is not 
inherently racist to say so. And Kirsten Powers is doing what Bill Clinton used to do, what Joe Biden did. She's tarring the entire Republican Party and all conservatives with the idea of racism. It's just extending, extending that idea to touch anything they disagree with, basically. Steve Scalise had a really good a uh, good point about this. He was challenged by George uh, Stephanopoulos about this, and he had a perfectly valid point saying that the racism goes both ways. Well, you've seen all of our House leaders from Kevin McCarthy, myself, Liz Cheney, uh, rejecting what Steve King said, uh, pushing back and calling on him to come back and denounce it. Uh, I would re- recommend that Steve King go and read the op-ed by our colleague, Senator Tim Scott, which was very poignant. Uh, I will say, George, Uh, As they talk about Steve King on the Democrat side, we've pushed back against his comments. There have been many Democrats who have said not only highly offensive things, align themselves with anti-Semites, have called on physical violence. They haven't pushed back on any of that language. We've got to raise the bar on civility, George. We need to call it out on the Republican side and the Democrat side. I've been willing to call it out on both. It's time those Democrat leaders you just mentioned call it out when it happens on their side as well. I mean, what he's talking about there is the Black Caucus, the Democrat Black Caucus, which has been very, I mean, it's been like this with uh, Louis Farrakhan, who is a raging Jew hater, and they never have to apologize for it. They never have to say anything about it. And they, they dither and they say, oh, well, it's a black thing you wouldn't understand. You know, this is a little bit off the subject, but it is really worth looking at because it's just a great piece of video. Uh, Tamika Mallory was on The View. Tamika Mallory is one of the co-founders of the Women's March. And the Women's March is coming apart at the seams because there is so much uh, anti-Semitism at the top. And it comes from uh, it comes from some of the black leaders and it comes from some of the Muslim leaders. And it has just spread throughout. And a lot of the women are saying, you know, this was supposed to be uh, arguing for rights for women. What is the, the, all this anti-Semitism doing here? So Tamika Mallory is questioned on The View about the fact that she uh, tweeted a picture of her with her arm around uh, Louis Farrakhan, and it, she called him a goat, which means the greatest of all time. And she's questioned about this, and she makes an excuse for it, and Meghan McCain unloads on her. It is a, a beautiful thing to watch. Without Meghan McCain, The View would be unwatchable. It's kind of unwatchable anyway, but this is a great moment. And listen to where the applause come call him the greatest of all time because of his rhetoric. I called him the greatest of all time because of what he's done in black communities. And I think that, you know, I think that... Let me just interject really quickly. I would never be comfortable supporting someone who called, I'm not anti-Semite and I'm I'm anti-termite. It's the wicked Jews, the false Jews that are promoting lesbianism, homosexuality. I actually spoke with the journalist from Tablet Magazine who released an investigation report on your organization. And in part, they allege that there is a lot of anti-Semitism surrounding this march. Specifically, the report alleged that you, Tamika, and co-founder Carmen Perez asserted that, quote, Jewish people had a history of exploiting black people and were proven to be leaders of the American slave trade. Now, a lot of people, by a lot of people, I include me in this, think that you're using your organization as anti-Semitism, masked in activism, and that you're using identity politics to shield yourself from critiques. You're talking about all women being invited to that march. I'm pro-life. We were not invited. We were, we were not allowed at that march right there. I'm a conservative woman. I also represent, if you're talking about women, you should be talking about all women, including Jewish women as well, and conservative women. Well, well, Megan... What I love about these shows is the people will applaud for anything that is spoken with passion. You know, they they applauded for Tamika Mallory when she defended Louis Farrakhan. And then Meghan McCain just 
turned her to ashes and dust. And they applauded for that. You could, you could go on TV, Bill Maher show, The View. You could go and just say, any, we need to build gas chambers in this country. Everybody would yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what I hate about Alexandria Occasional Cortex is that she just thinks that if she says these things with passion and with a kind of idealistic gleam in her eye, everybody will follow her. And unfortunately, she may be right. All right. I have to get to the New York Times because this is what this is the, the crux of the matter. The New York Times, a former newspaper, runs a story this morning called A History of Steve King's Racist Remarks. I want to make this clear first. I'm not defending Steve King. I believe Steve King has crossed a line uh, in his own thinking. Not about, I, I don't know what he said to the Times. I don't know if he was misquoted. I don't know if he was misquoted out of context. I'm talking about my impression of Steve King. I think he started out as a devoted, uh, you know, devoted to the cause of securing the border. And I think he has moved into Steve Bannon territory with this idea of, you know, cultures invading us and foreign cultures invading us. And I think he's made a mistake. And I will get to what I think that mistake is. Uh, later. So I'm not defending Steve King. I just want to just read portions of this. This is a history of Steve King's racist remarks in the New York Times. And some of them that I'm not going to read, some of them did strike me as kind of suspect. But here are the ones I want to highlight. Mr. King in the Iowa State Senate files a bill requiring schools teach that the United States is the unchallenged greatest nation in the world and that it has derived its strength from Christianity, free enterprise, capitalism and Western civilization. Aside from the greatest nation in the world, which obviously is an opinion, all of that is true. That's not a racist statement. Mr. King is the chief sponsor of a law making English the official language of Iowa. All country, most countries have a central language. We, we have a problem because all those countries, all those countries come, all those languages come from countries that they're named after. English is called English because it comes from England. French is called French because it comes from France. We are an English-speaking country that is not a racist. I, I don't particularly care whether this is a, an English-speaking country. I think we could have multi-languages, but it's not a racist comment. Mr. King defends a tweet that we're watching as Western civilization is shrinking in the face of the massive epic migration that is pouring into Europe. King has been a big supporter of guys like Geert Wilders who attack the Muslim uh, the Muslim massive Muslim immigration into Europe, which has caused massive problems. Geert Wilders, remember, is not an American. He is not responsible to American values. He's trying to protect, he's Dutch. He's trying to protect his country from what he thinks is destroying its culture. King has supported him. Again, Islam is not a race. Islam is a philosophy. You can criticize it. You can attack it. You can dislike it. Not the people, but you can dislike the philosophy. But here's the one that really gets to me, where he says, uh, King said, King said to the Washington Post, this is report, recorded by the Times as a racist statement, the idea of multiculturalism, that every culture is equal, that's not objectively true. We've been fed that information for the past 25 years, and we're not to, going to become a greater nation if we continue to do that. That is the literal truth. Multiculturalism is a implausible implausible philosophy. It cannot be, it cannot be that cultures that enslave people, that cultures that treat women like trash, that those cultures are equal to cultures that do not. That cannot be. To conflate ideas and cultures is to strip us of our power to think, to strip us of our power to criticize what is wrong and decide what, and decide good from bad. I mean, that's what it is. Here is, here is where King has gone wrong and here is where the New York Times and the rest of the left is lying, okay? 
Christianity has a massive hand in shaping Western culture. There is no way around that, and it had a massive hand of shaping the minds of the men who wrote the Declaration and the Constitution. Massive uh, power. There's no way that after thousands of years of Christianity, even if you became a deist, that you would not be shaped by Christianity. With this culture, everything about us is shaped by Christianity. And those men who wrote those wonderful documents, who wrote the Constitution, who wrote the Declaration, were white men. What's great about what they wrote is that you don't have to be a white man to benefit from the things they created, right? Christianity, remember, in Christ there is no Jew or Greek, there's no white or black, there's not even male or female. In Christ, everybody is equal. And again, if if all men are created equal, that includes everybody. What these white Christian men created was a philosophy that could include everybody. That's why I'm always saying we should thank Christian white men. We shouldn't be picking on them. We should say, hey, thank you very much for creating this wonderful thing that we all can share. And what you can't say, though, <clears throat> what you cannot say is that that, is, that philosophy, that inclusive philosophy, that magnificent philosophy is destroyed by letting pe- other people in. That's why it's there. That's where King has gone wrong. That's where I think Steve Bannon makes a mistake. That's where I think Geert Wilders may have may have crossed the line. I heard Geert Wilders speak. He has a lot of interesting things to say about Islam, but he wants to shut down mosques. And when you say that in America, it just doesn't fly because we allow all religions to be free. That too is in the constitution written by these Christian white men. This is where King goes wrong, but it's also where the times is lying when they tell us that every culture is the same or you're a racist, that every idea is the same or you're a racist, that every religion has to be treated equally or you're a racist. They are essentially what they are doing. And when they take the white men, the white men who oppress black people and include them in those founding ideas. It's the ideas that matter. It's not what the people did. It's not that George Washington had slaves. He was born into that society. It took him a lifetime to figure out that he had to let those people go. It, he did figure it out because he was such a great man, one of the true, great, one of the greatest of the founders. But it takes a long time to think your way out of your time. And what the times gets wrong and what the left gets wrong is they conflate the flaws of human beings with the brilliant ideas those human beings left us with, and those are the ideas that we as conservatives are trying to conserve. This Friday, Ben Shapiro will be taking his show on the road to the March for Life in D.C. at 10 a.m. Eastern. Ben will be live streaming at the National Mall and 12th Street, so if you're planning to be at the march, head over and see him in person. Also, I would like to ask you once again to... uh, Go on and pre-order Another Kingdom. The book is available for pre-order now. If you pre-order it on Amazon and save the receipt, there'll be all kinds of gifts that you can get uh, in a week or two. Uh, Now we have to take breaks from YouTube and Facebook, but come over to dailywire.com. You can watch the whole show there if you subscribe. And if you subscribe, you can be in the mailbag. The mailbag will not be tomorrow. I got to travel tomorrow. So the mailbag will be on Friday, but get your questions in now. The way you get them in is you go to dailywire.com, hit the podcast button, hit the Andrew Clavin podcast, hit the little mailbag symbol, and you can ask any question you want about religion, about politics, about your personal life. All my answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life, maybe for the better. Who knows? It's 10 bucks a month to subscribe, 100 bucks for the year. For 100 bucks, you get the Leftist Tears Tumblr best deal online. All right, I got to say to break, take a break. We've got an interview with Larry Loftus, his new book, Codename Lease, coming up. Stay tuned for that on dailywire.com.
Larry Loftus is the best-selling author of the non-fiction spy thriller Into the Lion's Mouth, the true story of Dusko Popoff, World War II spy, patriot, and the real-life inspiration for James Bond. He's got a new book out, which is just an amazing, amazing story. Uh, it's called Codename Lease, the true story of the spy who became World War II's most highly decorated uh, woman. Yes, Larry Loftus, thank you for coming on. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. By the way, not just the most highly decorated woman, but the most highly decorated spy, male really? or female. That's no, right. no kidding. That, that, it's, That's right. It's an amazing story considering where she came from and how she began. But before, before we talk about that, how did you find the story? After I wrote Into the Lion's Mouth, I, I started searching for another book. Um, and I was a little bit depressed because I, I thought I'll never find somebody that's as perfect as this guy. I mean, he was the greatest spy. He did all these things. The inspiration for James Bond. Was he really the inspiration for James Bond? He really was. Yeah. Read the book. Read yeah. the book. Um, but I, I was frustrated because I thought, I'll never find somebody this good. And so for months and months and months, I researched and came up empty. And then uh, eventually I came across, because all of the, the, the same books, a lot of these books that are behind me, um, these World War II books, I, I found a German spy catcher named Hugo Bleicher. And I read his memoir, Colonel Henry's Stories, the name of it. And it was fascinating because he detailed how he broke into Allied, uh, in France, Allied spy networks. He busted one called Interally, which was, which was a huge network, about 100 agents. And then he mentions this woman named Lise, the next spy network that he's going after. Well, he doesn't know that's her code name. Her real name was Odette Sansom. But uh, it was fascinating. And I thought, this woman. And so I started ch chasing that trail. And so I ordered everything I could find on this woman and, and went to the archives, the, uh, the British archives. I read all of her files, Bleicher's files and, and Churchill's, her, her supervising officer, commanding officer. And it was almost too good to be true. And, and, and ironically, it's nonfiction. But as all the reviews have said, it's a thriller. And, and it's even more of a thriller than Into the Lion's Mouth was, as, as Kirkus reviews, who's not afraid to uh, to hammer some people sometimes. They even said every chapter ends in a cliffhanger. Well, I love thrillers, and great thrillers don't even, you know, 50% of them typically. So uh, when, I, when I realized what was there in terms of all the things that she did, the things that happened to her, uh, I, I just thought I have to write this book. It's, it's, you know, one of the things that really got me is where she starts out. I mean, she's basically a housewife in England. Is that, is that fair to say? And, and mother of three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so how I does mean, she... who, who, who thinks of a, of a housewife and mo mother of three as a potential spy? But she was. And it was it, they found her by accident. British intelligence, the uh, British, Intel the British Royal Navy put a message out to everyone saying, look, if, if you've ever been to France, we'd like to get photos. We want photos while well, they're thinking of D-Day. They're thinking of Normandy and the coastline. And they said, if you have any photos, please send them in. So she goes she, she grew up in France. She was French. So she went through her scrapbook and, and sent in photos, but she sent them to the wrong address. She didn't send them to the admiral. She sent them to the war office and they end up in, in section F, which was the <laughs> SOE's <laughs> section for France. And so they start looking through this and they see her and they're like, Hmm, this woman, she looks about the right age. She speaks French. She's because they had a problem. They needed spies, particularly women who could go in, who did not have an accent. Huh? Well, what are the odds of that? I mean, if you're looking in England to find someone that speaks French without an accent, good luck. Well, she was a diamond in the rough. 
and and they uh, immediately called her in, and she thought she was just going to get her photos back. Well, they recruited her. Wow. And and the wow. rest is history. And, and initially, she was she was like, no, no, I I don't have any military experience. She'd never fired a gun. She'd never <laughs> done anything. But they trained her. You know, they trained her like they did everyone else in the SOE. So they send her. Where where do they send her? To France. To France. You know, that's her home land. Her her <clears throat> she lands at. Uh, Cassis, uh, basically in the French Riviera, and her first station was in Cannes. You know, all around that that area around Cannes, and um, it was there that she met her commanding officer, Peter Churchill. No relation to the prime minister, but he was a fantastic uh, circuit leader. had uh, had already made two tours of France, had done amazing things himself, and that was her commanding officer. And she was supposed to go move on to Auxerre and then to Paris. But she hit it off so well with Churchill, and he knew, man, this lady is a fireball. She gets after it. He wanted her, and he put and he sent a a, a cable to London, said, "Hey, can I keep her? I want I want this woman." So and they said, "Well, no, we're sending her." And he said, "No, no, no, I need her." And then they said, "Okay, you can have her." So what what kinds of things were they doing behind enemy lines? Well, SOE in particular, they were spies only because they were out of uniform. You're in occupied France, uh, but the SOE, the Special Operations Executive, was designed, as Churchill said, to set to set Europe ablaze. And so, what they wanted to do was blow up blow up the the German bridges and supply lines and ammo dumps uh, to harass the Germans, but also to equip with arms and material and ammunition the French resistance, the Maquis. So they would secretly meet up with the French resistance people. And say, look, meet us next Friday. We've got a plane coming in that's going to drop all of, you know, drop weapons, drop rifles and ammunition. And so that was their job, really, to to arm the French resistance and to help them sabotage uh, German supplies. So one of the things that I found fascinating is this guy you start. I didn't realize that this is how you found the story. But this this German spy hunter is like something out of that movie Inglorious Bastards. He's like this master uh, Javier kind of guy hunting down anybody. And, and he goes after her, right? Yeah, he, he's an amazing character. <laughs> and and I, I tell people he's 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 part Sherlock Holmes. But he's part Sam Gerard and the Fugitive, <laughs> if you remember Tommy Lee sure, Jones, who's sure. just relentless, doing is just relentless. So he's brilliant, mm-hmm. but he's relentless. But he's also charming. He knows when to turn on the charm. He speaks perfect French. Uh, he speaks some Spanish. He speaks some English. And he was just great at his job. So when he he was a German secret policeman sent to be a just a policeman in in uh, occupied France, but he was so good at catching spies. They had brought him in initially in Cherbourg to do an interrogation in French of someone that they had captured. And Hugo was so good and so perfect for the job. The Abwar, which was German military intelligence, said, "Look, we need to borrow you. Can we're we're going to take you into our?" And so they brought him into the Abwar and basically turned him loose and said. You will give you whatever you need. We'll give you resources. We'll give you people. Do what you do. Go capture the uh, the British and French spies. Go get them. And he did. And he was he was unbel- probably the mm. best spy catcher in history. Wow, wow. And he was coming after her. And she, meanwhile, I mean, this this is kind of amazing too. This is kind of a love story. I mean, she and this guy Churchill. Uh, it re- is really fell for each other. 
and 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 it's it's this confluence of different things happening at the same time. On the one mm-hmm. hand, Odette and Peter Churchill are tasked to do their job to to get the equipment and so forth out to land planes and all that. But at the same time, they're developing a, a, a not just a friendship; they're develop, developing a love relationship between them. And over here on the other side that they can't see, Hugo Bleicher has infiltrated their network and he's chasing them. So it almost becomes like, catch me if you can, you know, where Tom Hanks is chasing Leonardo DiCaprio because he's, he's going, he's, they're moving, you know, they have to keep on the run because they know the Gestapo's three steps behind him. So they're always on the run and, and he tracks them down, just incredible, tracks them down, uh, and surprises them. I, I hate to ask this, but as a moralist, I have to. What happened to the family? She's got a husband and uh, three kids. Uh, she left behind, and she's falling on having this, this spy love affair. What happened to them? Yeah, that's that's a whole nother. I want to be careful not to uh, not to have any spoilers. But okay, uh, that that husband had been called off to war. Uh, so we'll. We'll leave it there, probably. <laughs> All right. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll let people find out. The book is Codename yeah. Lee's The True Story of the Spy Who Became World War II's Most Highly Decorated Woman. What do you, what do you think when you, when you tell these stories? Is there anything you're trying to communicate to people beside the story, uh, uh, beyond the story itself? There is. There, uh, there's actually two things. I mean, it, when you're writing in fiction, the story is the story. Whatever happened, happened. It's part of history. Whether I and into the lion's mouth, codename Lisa. I'm dealing with archives. I'm dealing with the for the last book for codename Lisa. I'm dealing with the British archives and primary sources. So I have to tell what what actually happened. But in doing that, I want the story not to be a boring biography, not to be a boring history book. I, I want it to be exciting and fun. And so I wrote it as a thriller, just as I did my other book. I wrote it as a thriller because if you find the right story as they sometimes, uh, sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction. And, and this is just one of those stories. And so I wanted to be fun and entertaining, but retain the message that is there. And that is her incredible survival and Peter's too, their incredible, um, determination to do their job to survive. And then once they're captured, not to give the Germans anything, mm. They were both. They were both brutalized. They were both tortured. They were both condemned to death, and they both survived. Mm. But they were. Neither one talked. In fact, no one in SEC talked. The the operatives in the in the SOE were so well trained and so well, uh, I guess, selected that none of them talked. And Odette, even though she was brutally tortured, she said not a word and would never give them anything. And 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 really had an indignation about them. And her patent answer was, "I have nothing to say." They, the Germans knew that she knew the locations of two key people that the Germans wanted, the radio operator for their circuit and another gentleman that had just come in who was going to run another circuit. She knew the locations of both, and they knew that she knew. Mm-hmm. So they thought it's just a matter of torture. We'll get it out of her. And she refused, and her patent answer was, I have nothing to say. That's great. They great. started torching her and they say, do you want to talk now? I have nothing to say. That's an amazing story. Larry Loftus, uh, the book is Codename Lee's The True Story of the Spy Who Became World War II's Most Highly Decorated Woman. It is out today, so you can get it right away. Larry, th- <clears throat> thanks so much for coming on. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Drew. I appreciate it. Uh, really, that's a great story. Um, I, I got to talk about a couple of things about uh, selling leftism. This is one of the things I like. You know, uh, the mayor of New York, de Blasio, made his state of the city speech 
the other day, and he delivered. He is now going full socialist. The, the subways in New York have deteriorated to the point where riding in them is like being in, trapped in like Dante's Inferno. And he, what he's talking about is basically they're going to there's going to be free health care for everybody, whether they're legal or not. And here is his comment, some of his comments from the state of the city speech, which is just pu- the social. It's pure socialism. Millions of people in this city, tens of millions across the country, are boxed into lives that just aren't working for them. You haven't been paid what you deserve for all the hard work. You haven't been given the time you deserve. You're not living the life you deserve. And here is the cold, hard truth. It's no accident. It's an agenda, an agenda that's dominated our politics from Reaganomics to the Trump tax giveaway to the wealthy and corporations. Here's the truth. Brothers and sisters, there's plenty of money in the world. There's plenty of money in this city. It's just in the wrong hands. <laughs> There's plenty of money in the world. It's just in the wrong hands, namely in the hands of the people who made the money. And we know what the right hands are. The right hands are de Blasio's hands. He wants his hands on your money. He's talking about a millionaire tax. He's talking about spreading the wealth, spreading the wealth, the old socialist routine. And of course, you know, as the uh, the philosopher, what was, what was his name? Bastiat, by Frederick Bastiat the great economist, Ronald Reagan's favorite economist, he said, if it's wrong for one man to steal money from another, it is wrong for many men under the guise of being the government to steal money from from someone. Why is this money in the wrong hands if these are the people who made it? And why are de Blasio, where, where on earth does he get the moral right? So they, because they cannot sell their actual philosophy, because if anybody questions them on the morality of socialism, on the fact that socialism destroys every society that it touches, if, if they ever get questioned on it, they fall apart. Instead, they're always selling how lovable they are. You remember Elizabeth Warren where, with her, I'm cracking open a beer as I declare that I'm uh, running for president. Well, here's another one from Kamala Harris, also likely to run for president, also uh, a socialist, basically. She puts out her mood mix. Here's just a sample. Hey, it's Kamala Harris, and this is my mood mix. song that has always made me dance. Check the rhyme, A Tribe Called Quest. You know, I'm talking about Fife. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, buy buy my socialism. If you love my mood mix, you'll love my socialism. So that's how they're selling. That's how they're selling themselves. Meanwhile, Gillette has decided to sell their razors by telling men they stink. This is their new, uh, their new Me Too ad. Remember the Gillette razors? Their slogan was always "the best a man can get." Well, now it's like you're not the best because you're toxic. Uh, here is just a sample of Gillette's new ad. Bullying. The Me Too movement against sexual harassment. Is this the best a man can get? Is it? We can't hide from it. It's been going on far too long. We can't laugh it off. Who's the daddy? What I actually think she's trying to say. Making the same old excuses. 
Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. But something finally changed. Allegations regarding sexual assault and sexual harassment. And there will be no going back. Because we, we believe in the best in men. Men need to hold other men accountable. Smile, sweetie. Come on. To say the right thing. To act the right way. Not cool, not cool. So, so if you can't see it, if you're just listening, all the bad guys are white, all the nice men are black. It's the whole woke deal. Uh, you know, we haven't had an ad for Dollar Shave Club for a while, but this is a perfect ad for Dollar Shave Club. Another great reason to join Dollar Shave Club so not to buy uh, the razors from people who think uh, you're toxic. You know, my friend D.C. McAllister, wonderful columnist for The Federalist and for Ricochet, uh, Denise McAllister, she wrote... Um, she sent out a tweet saying, what would it be like if a tampon company sold their tampons by saying, women, once a month, you just become intolerable. <laughs> so so you, can, you can do better. You can do better. I mean, it's a great idea. I, I, who, who, how is it that no one thought before that you could sell a product by telling your customers uh, that they stink? I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see if men are so debilitated, uh, so emasculated, so down on themselves, so self-hating that they actually buy into this. I hope it costs you let a fortune. All right. Remember, they're not going to do a show tomorrow because I'm flying, but I will have a show on Friday and that's when we'll do the mailbag. So get your questions in now. Go to the dailywire.com. Go to the, hit the podcast button. Hit the Andrew Claven podcast. Hit the little mailbag. Send in the questions. I will answer all of your questions and my answers are guaranteed correct, which is all you need. And also go out and pre-order Another Kingdom. It is extremely helpful for the book's life and you know that Michael Knowles did the audio book. You can pre-order that, too, and there will be lots of free gifts. All right, I will see you then on Thursday, and there will be a Friday show as well. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saevitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey guys, over on the Matt Wall Show today, we're going to talk about that stupid Gillette ad, which uh, lectures men, sermonizes to men, and in the process degrades and insults them, which by the way, that's their customer base. Not a smart move. We're going to discuss that. Also, a Hollywood director, um, speaking of insulting, insulted his own small children on Twitter, and then a bunch of other parents came along to, to applaud him for it, but I'm not applauding, and I'll explain why uh, today over on the Matt Wall Show.